You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Happen then, and for no reason of my doing, because I don't really think of the verse, is um, I start thinking of Isaiah 6 8 and says, Then uh, I heard the voice of the Lord asking, and who shall I send? Who, will show, who shall go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And so, when you all of a sudden you get this voice, this voice saying that in your head of a verse you had not thought of for years, you go, oh boy, that's not. I mean, and then now you're actually saying, okay God, no. And then I'm like, well, that was very uncomfortable. <laughs> Okay, well, the creator of the universe says that maybe I should go and bring in a verse that I had not thought of since forever, and then I'm going to say no. So I was like, I was very leery of doing that. And then uh, finally, uh, Brian says, well, you haven't, you've never told me no. I never told him no. I said, whatever, uh, maybe, and such. And then he, he, uh, he texts me while I'm teaching a college class and says, um, Dude, you have five minutes to respond because I'm buying tickets. And then I was, and then, and then I pick up my phone and I call him right away and I'm saying, "Hey, I never said." And he's like, "Too late." <laughs> so I took that as a sign from God that maybe I needed to go anyway. So um, I just put, I set my heart towards that we were going. Okay, just so you know, I'm going to break in here. In case you ever wonder what the job description of a pastor is, this is it. Badgering, badgering, manipulation, um, convincing, sales tactics, and eventually, like, just flat out, um, oh, is there, like, legal terminology for when you actually, like... Strong arming? Yeah, strong arming. No, yeah, all of that stuff. It goes... Um, blackmailing for God. Blackmailing for Jesus. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> and so, finally, just, I just, I, I broke down and I just said, this, this is happening, and then... And then thanks to the generosity of people here and our and some of our friends that we had contacted and just everything started coming together. All of a sudden more money started pouring in, so it wasn't gonna be like a big financial burden for us to try and afford everything just because of like people in here and other places had all come together and given us money to do it. And so um, yeah, I want to say I want to say thank you to you guys. I mean, if we got to stop right there and say thank you to you guys and to anybody else who I mean, there was a bunch of other people that aren't part of this church that donated to the cause. Um, but yeah, thank you. There, uh, who went on Mexico? Raise your hand, Mexico peoples. Okay, so there's four of you. Are there more? The rest of them all skip out today. Uh, okay, so there's a bunch of you guys that are here. So these there were six people total that went to Mexico and. These four that are here, and Vanessa was already there because she went to visit her mom. But uh, but you guys, you guys sent uh, was it ten people, ten to eleven people across the world, um, and raised like eleven thousand dollars or something like that in no time flat. So just, that's awesome, right? Yeah, right now. you should be like patting yourselves on the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's all about time. Yeah, it's all about time. All right, continue, John. So, um, anyway, if that's not if that's not the hand of the Lord moving, then I don't know what is. And so all this came together. We end up getting there. And by the way, Jesse and I both were not very happy about flying over that much ocean. And by the time I sat in that seat, I prayed, and then it was nothing but peace for the entire trip. I never had one worry. It never crossed my mind that our plane was going down. I was going to eat by a shark. Um, I mean, it was just all of a sudden, it was just peace. It's like, people do this every day, every day, every day. Forget about it. And then I was was done. I just quit worrying about it. I got back on the plane, prayed my prayer again, took off across the ocean. It was fine. So that was also God. So you could just see where God is working throughout the entire thing, at least in my heart and my life while I'm doing this. And, um, and I just wanted to be a good voice for him when I get there. And so he made it so that that was possible. 
Um, we had a lot of, when we finally get there, there's a lot of cultural differences. Um, I'll go over just a few of them. There's some things about like communicating with um, Filipino people that you need to pay attention to. It is you need to look at their face when you're talking to them because half the things they say they don't use with words. So, so I say, hey, um, even little kids they learn it from like tiny little kids to adults, and you're like, so do you like balut? And they'll be like this. They raise their eyeballs twice. That means they really like it. <laughs> hey, where's the bathroom? <laughs> so if you were, she's doing okay. Vanessa, Vanessa needs to demonstrate. But remember, full size. You have to show over here too. Yeah. So if you're not, you know, directions with their mouth. The irony in this whole thing is that John is taking the standpoint of the cultural person for the Philippines. <laughs> That's the funniest part about this. <laughs> when we have a Vanessa right here. <laughs> It was, it was just, it just. But what I found though also was that um, that the people are are very, they're just very, very giving, very, um, um, they're very servant-hearted there. Uh, but the pro, some of the problem I saw was is that they then tend to put themselves below us. So we get there, and then we're from America, so we must know everything. We don't have problems, things like that, and that just is not the case. And so a lot of what our mission there and the time we spent with um, just mentoring and talking to people was to say, you know what, um, brokenness is, is a worldwide thing. Just because um, some of our brokenness and the sin that we have in our culture and your culture and everything else may look slightly different, it is the same thing. It is still, it is still sin. It is all the same. And so what we needed to do was kind of lower that down and say, you know what, America is not perfect. We have tons of problems. And so not to make it so that we look like we're some you know, great big brother that they could never aspire to be because I just didn't, that was very, um, it's uncomfortable and it's wrong because that's not, it is. It's in, in the, I think the, one of the another thing that I just really enjoyed was to go around the world, halfway around the world, and there you are in church or in a classroom, and you're hanging out with other Christians. They believe in the same Jesus that you do, in the same way that you do, in the same Bible that you have, only with different translation. And so it was just um, really, I mean, that was just an amazing impression on my heart, and I, and I know on these guys too is that how that affected them, was just to be able to hang out and maybe maybe impart some law enforcement type knowledge on them, but also just to be there and connect um, as Christians and those who weren't Christians who got to be with us, got to see that. And, and hopefully we'll see the fruits of that in their life too. So There was one kid uh, named Jade who was... Uh one of the criminology students these guys got to work with. He was a college student. And a uh, super protective guy, right? I mean, remember that yeah. uh, the pastor we were working with told him, uh, make sure that these guys get home, because the pastor we were with went home, and we went to play basketball in their community, and then they had to bring us with tr- public transportation back. And Vanessa wasn't there, because she was with her family. So we're a bunch of knuckle-headed white guys walking around everywhere, and these college students, uh, Pastor Mark says to them, you make sure they get back. And it was funny because two of them, one stood in the front of us and one stood behind us as we walked in line all the time protecting us. And Jade was always in the back, right? He was the, he was the rear protector. And he was a fairly... He was a, Pretty bulky kid for a Filipino, but he uh, uh, he is tall, not. But he's yeah, <laughs> he's tall, but he's yeah, he's proportioned. Anyway, so he uh, but he was he's from from what I from what I understand, he's not a believer. Didn't go to church, hung out with us all week, and then he shows up at church on Sunday, cool. Sunday night, and uh, and just like he'd never like he'd always been there, and uh, and my guess is, my hope is, or my prayer is that he'll he'll keep. Exploring this relationship with Jesus, thing, so. and, and also with Jade, the guy would just—I got to hear him singing a song as we're walking around with me. And that guy has a beautiful voice. It is—it's yeah. hilarious that he doesn't ever get to use it to do anything. But 
Um, so he's in church singing, and it was it was really awesome. Well, the Filipinos sing everywhere. That's what Vanessa says. <laughs> and we got to do videoki one night. Oh, yeah. Which was... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the first song that gets busted out is a Frank Sinatra song. Like the very first one. Yeah. That was pretty great. Uh, Renan, one of the guys that's there, and he's got this like, he's got a super crooner voice. Like, yeah. he crushed it. He crushed it. He sounded exactly like Frank Sinatra. So, go ahead, Jamin. Um, yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, so, unlike John, I love to do this stuff. Sorry. I love to go places, I love to do new things, I love to uh, meet new people. Most of the time, uh, I love outside of the stuff. country. Outside of outside the country. Of the that's, country. A good, that's a good disclaimer. Inside the country, outside. people. <laughs> I'm inside the country. I know enough Americans. He's <laughs> talking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think everybody over here is laughing because they can totally they understand. Yeah. You, know, like, you guys get it. So, um, but. But when it comes to this kind of stuff, when it comes to trips like this, um, it's never convenient, right? It's never, ever convenient. The timing is not right. Um, the money isn't there right then. Or there's a bunch of stuff, like John said, that you feel like you need to do or they feel you feel like you need to be here to do. Or sometimes, in my case, you feel like uh, you're going off on a missions trip and your heart's not in the place where it should be to go on a mission strip and supposedly like show Jesus to other people. Um, it's just never, it's just never convenient. And so, um, kind of like John said, I, w- I never got all that excited about this trip until I was like going. Like I never, I just wasn't there. I wasn't in that place and my heart wasn't in that place. And, um, I didn't really know. I didn't really know what it was going to be about. I didn't really know what God was going to show us or, or do or what it was going to be like. Um, so I just want to encourage you guys that whenever God tells you to do something like this, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not ever going to be convenient. Your heart is not ever going to be right exactly in that place. Your finances are never going to be right exactly in that place. The work, vacation, all that stuff, it's never going to be exactly where you think it should be to go. But I encourage you that every time that you decide, I'm going to do this anyway, then God will come through. It's going to be something special. I promise you that. And if there's anything that you take away from that, I'd like it to be that. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a little bit differently than Jamin did. If you're going to wait for your emotions to move you, you're either never going to go, or you're going to make a horrible missionary when you get there. One of the two. Because emotionally, it's heart-wrenching to go. And while you're there, I mean, everybody, each one of us kind of all had our own little, uh, including Vanessa, and that's her country. Um, each one of us had our own little breakdown moment while we're there, because that's part of this, too. So, so um I'll kind of echo John, he mentioned this, because it's a big deal to me personally. So, when you go to a place like the Philippines, especially the community um, that we went to, as Americans, you have this tendency to emphasize the poverty, right, when you get there, because it's so much different than what you're used to. But, um, that's not what these people are about, that's not what defines them. Um, That community... And these kids and these people that we got to spend time with, <clears throat> to me, are they are identified by their faith, by the encouragement that they provided to us um, that we brought back, and in the 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 way that they're changing their own community and their own city by. Um, by education, by spreading Jesus around, and just by being genuinely servant-hearted people. Like, it was really special, and the people that we came across were um, very special to me and impacted my life in, in some really unique ways. And so, I don't, I don't know exactly what pictures Brian has chosen. I don't know if there's any pictures of the community that uh, we were yeah, in. Yeah, there are Sanguina pictures. Yeah, they've already been up. Yeah, they've already been up. So... 
when you look at that, I know that through American eyes we think, oh man, I wish these, you know, I wish we could revitalize this community, right? But instead of seeing that, I want you to know that, um, I want you to know that these kids and the people that are in that community are changing their community through Jesus and, and are very, very special, encouraging people. And, um, other than that, uh, the school that we got to be um, a part of or spend some time with is called Bright Lights, and I know that Jesse will talk more about that when the mic gets passed over to him. But um, this school is is um, not only teaching kids um, school subjects, but it's also teaching kids about Jesus, is discipling them one-on-one, and is providing mentorship for them. And if there was ever anything worthy of supporting or praying for, um, it would be that school. And I'll let Jesse uh, tell you more about that because I know that that's what's on his heart. No, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you want me to go? Don't don't look at me, man. Just do it. So Bright Lights was a great... I mean, what a, how, how big of a need did that fill? Yeah. Well, let's, let me explain what Bright Lights is. So Bright Lights Learning Center, not Learning Academy, Bright Lights Learning Center, is um, in the Philippines, and um, maybe Vanessa, you should explain what schooling's like in the Philippines. So regular schooling, well, I, I guess one of the things that I realized when I went there is how different my schooling was from like Bright Lights and many of the other schools. Because I went to a private school, and so like all the while when people ask me like, oh, Everybody knows English. Like, yes, everybody knows English. And because, you know, when, right, when we start school, we already have English. But apparently, after almost 40 years, I realized that that's not true. So there are places like <coughs> bright lights where people are, you know, can't afford to send their kids to private school, not even public school, because public school is partially free, but there are a lot of things that are not free. Um, and so if they can't afford supplies or uniforms, then you can't still go to a public school. Um, and these are the students that go there that are unable to go to the regular school. Um, many reasons, but um, Bright Lights allow them to have this curriculum or program that allows them to take the what would be the equivalent of a GED. Yeah, right. called ALS. ALS. Yeah. And so, like, um, just to capitalize on that a little bit is, if you can imagine uh, public school, if you can imagine you went to public school and instead of having actual science equipment, you just had a book where you read about the science equipment that would help you actually experiment. And like, get your hands up. That's what public school is in the Philippines. Um, there's there's a lot there's there's not a lot of stuff. There's not a lot of support for that. And you, whatever you are going to bring to the table, you have to pay for. It. So you have to buy a uniform, you have to buy books, you have to buy equipment, you have to buy all that stuff. And so if you are a lower class citizen, if you don't have a whole lot of money going around, you can't you can't go to school. You can make it about third grade, fourth grade is what I think they said, and then then you're then you're done. And then bright light steps in, and these kids get caught up from third grade to seniors in a few short years. And so many of the kids that we thought were like seven, eight, nine year olds, turns out they're sixteen, seventeen, eight, eighteen years old. We figured there's a rule in the Philippines: you just double it. Whatever you think they are, whatever age you think they are, you multiply it by two, and then you're pretty close to the ballpark. So. Like Vanessa, she looks like she's 20, just so you know. She's not. So, uh, <laughs> she's 25. 25. 25. Double it. Um, so, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it's, uh, yeah. It, <laughs> You're so dead. <laughs> Yeah. It's not the Philippines anymore, is it? Yeah. Um, so anyway, so Bright Lights was part of that. Go ahead, Jesse. So yeah, Bright Lights is so filling a huge uh, community need. So it was, it was a great program. Uh, there are ways to donate to it uh, if you're interested. I know I've got a website. Um, you know, one of the big reasons why we went to, why we went, ended up going to the Philippines was because of, uh, International Justice Mission, which is a global organization, uh, that partners with whatever country, uh, law enforcement or government that they're in, uh, to help, uh, to help 
uh, fight uh, different injustices. So in the Manila uh, office, the International Justice Mission really focused a lot on sex trafficking and internet crimes against children, like child pornography. Um, so it was really, really uh, eye-opening to go into this organization that is very, very, very Jesus-focused. It's a mission, um, but that is also partnering with local law enforcement uh, to combat and fight these issues uh, on, a, on a legal scale. And the way that they approach it, because for those of you who don't know, I'm a, I'm a deputy sheriff. I work in uh, in our investigations department. Um, so we do. <laughs> So a lot of the stuff that that I do here uh, in America, in Pennington County, is a lot of stuff that they're doing um, in international justice missions in the Philippine office. And the way that they approach um, what they do, they do do good work, very good work for the kingdom. Uh, But they they understand that they can't do it uh, by themselves. They understand that, see, as cops, like... It's so easy for us to think like, all right, we're just gonna, you know, we're just gonna put our head down. We're gonna get this work done. We can do it all on our own, uh, and then we do, and or we try, and then we're constantly falling short. Uh, with International Justice Mission, their focus is that they're gonna do God's work, um, following God, uh, and so like they spend a half hour out of their day. Um, in personal time uh, with prayer and devotion, uh, and then they spend a half hour with corporate time. They come together as an entire crew, uh, sing, share, uh, share some verses, uh, pray, that kind of stuff. And so they they are constantly focused on Jesus uh, doing their work. What's, what's up there? It's the, it's the we had to lower ourselves together. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's perfect. It would cut all our heads off. <laughs> <laughs> so the so the fact that they're doing that they're doing their job um, following Jesus it was, was really was was really uh, convicting to me that I need to start my day end my day spend multiple times throughout the day um, talking to Jesus about the work that I'm doing and so it was really eye opening for me. Uh, I was kind of along the same lines as John. Or Captain America, as they call him. (laughs) So uh, he became Captain America. I became Pastor America, just so you know. And Damon was was Spider Boy. (laughs) What we found out was that uh, that, uh, Filipino um, teenagers are just as much smarty pants. American teenagers, and so they gave us nicknames. We learned a crucial piece of translation, not until the last day of the word joke law, which is basically, it's just a joke. Just kidding. But had we known that before, we probably would have offended far less people. (laughs) (laughs) Sarcasm is hard to translate. (laughs) Without that tag. Without joke law. But anyway, I was along the same lines as Captain America. Um, you know, when we were leaving, is that <laughs> is that um, you know, I was I was kind of up in up in the air about whether whether or not I should go. Um, and okay, you know, let's just say it. Let's let's say it like it is. What? I blackmailed all of you guys to go. Totally, and that's cool. I'm cool with it now. <laughs> it turned out pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't think I had one willing participant, except for Vanessa. <laughs> she, she was going to see her family anyway. So. so anyway, so I'm going there, um, not knowing what to expect, expect, pretty excited about visiting IJM. Uh, and and I, I, I think God did some... Did some amazing things in, in, in my life. I mean, I've, I've always been kind of under the assumption that short-term missions trips are typically more for the missionary than, than where they're going. Uh, I don't know if that's right or not, but that's that's the assumption I'm under. Um, and this trip made I, I kind of confirm that too, because I think God 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 did some amazing things um, for me. Um, we've been talking as a family a lot about about our comfort and how. Uh, how comfort for us it's it's it, it entraps us like it is very difficult for me to get out of uh, to follow God 
uh, to follow whether he's saying go or whether he's saying to do this or that uh, because of my comfort, because I covet my comfort too much. I enjoy my comfort too much. And this trip really taught me that I need, not only do I need to get out of that, because I knew that um, for the last several years, I think God's been convicting me of that. Uh, but this trip really taught me that not only do I do I think like, okay, I'm ready to get out of my comfort. Um, it's more than that. Like I want to. We we read uh, we read as a family the other uh, maybe yesterday morning um, in uh, in First Timothy about about fleeing. It was talking about fleeing of, from the love of money, but it, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. I mean, money is what brings me comfort. My things, my my Netflix, my whatever it might be, um, and that we as a family we need to run from that. Um, I don't know how that's going to look or what's what where God is, is taking us with that, um, but it's a real thing. It's a real powerful thing for us in our in, in our lives right now. Um, whether that means to leave the country, whether that means to I don't know. I don't know what it means. Um, so we, we've been doing a lot of praying since we've been back um, individually and as a family about where we need to go and what we need to do. But we need to run from our comfort. I'm not saying you need to. I don't know what God's doing in your life. But we, as the Fagerland family, we need to run from our comfort. Um, so, you know, I know we're taking out um, prayer time today. Uh, but that's my prayer. That's my that's my request from you guys. If you can pray for the Fagerlands about our comfort, about fleeing from it, about following Jesus and being passionate about him and what he's doing, where he's going. Um, because I don't know, I don't know where I don't know where he wants us and what he wants us to do. All I know is that he wants us to be uh, faithful today, right here, right now, and to follow him now. Uh, and and, and to, I don't know what it means in the long run, but we're we're kind of at one of those points in our lives as a family where um, uncertainty, a lot of uncertainty, and it's a good uncertainty because I think we not only do we have a desire to um, well a desire to follow God. We have a passion, I guess, a passion to follow him right now, and, and we need to we need to do that. We need to we need to act on it. So, good night, sister. What'd you learn, Vanessa, about your country? <laughs> a lot. A lot. Good. Um, well, first of all, I wanted to say, like, you know, most of them weren't sure if they were going to go. I was sure. Like, I was so sure that, that makes two. God, I was sure we were going to go, and I was sure these guys were going to go. Yeah, God sent me a lot of confirmation. Like I got like the best deal ever on my um, my flights, like from Rapid City, which is you know as everybody know have traveled before, it's so expensive to travel out of here. Um, and my boss said yes to a three-week vacation because I wanted to spend two weeks with my family and a week with, you know, mission strip. Like, how crazy is that? Um, and I think that God knew that I needed all those confirmations to said, say yes and commit to uh, buying my plane ticket and all that because he knew that if I wait any longer, I might change my mind. Um, the reason that I wanted to come in this mission trip was the focus of it was going to be on human trafficking. And I've seen it growing up. Like, you go to the malls and you just see this, the, the, the picture of it, of this um, foreign men, like older gentlemen, and this, you know, young Filipinos and little girls, boys. Um, and it just sickens me and I really wish that I had some sort of way to you know to stop it to help you know just get rid of that problem but and then this this is the first time ever that I feel like oh I would actually have a, a hand in you know trying to to help um, and then um I learned from Brian after I already got my ticket and all that. I'm like, oh, you're. We can't take you with us to to with the uh, to join the IJM um, meeting. And I was like, so what was I supposed to be doing? And I was really disappointed. Um, and I started questioning, like, oh, maybe maybe this was a mistake. Maybe you know, like. I heard wrong and all that just started creeping in. I'm like, well, I've already committed. I'll just, you know, do whatever I can to help out. Sure, whatever. 
then I, I got there and, you know, I got to spend time with family, which I was really grateful. Um, I have uh, an aunt that I didn't realize was close to passing. Well, she has a really serious condition and then my um, grandma is also bedridden and all that. So I was at least um, able to spend some time with him. But um, a few days before the mission trip, I learned that, oh, we didn't know you were coming. We didn't have a place for you to stay. Like, and again, that just like, really? <laughs> um, just so you know, they did know she was coming, but there was some miscommunication about that type of thing. So again, that just started, you know, like, I think the devil is really active in trying to penetrate my, my mind to just, you know, letting me believe that, no, you weren't supposed to be part of this or, you know, and but then I've committed like, well, Lord, I'm sure you had a reason why, and you knew. Well, he knew me well enough that um, if I probably knew all of that before going, I probably wouldn't have gone. But you know, I realized that there was a greater purpose of why I was there. It might be in a different capacity, but I was able to at least help these guys translate and. I realized that my Filipino is not as good as I thought it was. <laughs> there are some words that are like, I have not used that in that several years. So I don't know how to say it. But what was beautiful with that was that the people actually helped me translate. <laughs> like, oh, you mean this, right? They knew where I was going, but I just can't say that particular word. Um, and I also realized that to Filipinos, I look Chinese. They said, they said they said they were intimidated when they first saw me, and then of course I when I talk to English uh, to to them in English, I have more of an American accent than the Filipino accent that uh, everybody actually speaks. <laughs> that was really good. That was the first time I've heard her do that. That was spot on. And so when they first heard me speaking in American English, they were like, "Ooh, like I guess." We can't talk to her, and then you know I started talking to them in Filipino. They were like, "Okay, we can talk to you." <laughs> um, um, and so I, I think that was that time that they were in the IJM uh, meeting. I spent some time in Bright Lights and talked to the staff and some of the students. And I I don't, I don't think I had a chance to tell you guys about it, but. I had the chance to share. Yeah, I was. I had the chance to share my testimony with them, and just encourage them because I know they they kept you know telling me like, oh, we're we're so shy and embarrassed to talk to them in English. So you know they always look to me when they are like, we're running out of words. Like, well, how do you say this and you know, all that? And I said like, you know, I was like that at first, and just you know just try to encourage them. It's it's okay. You're actually much better than some of the other Filipinos I've spoken with and just kind of just build their confidence. And like Brian said, that's one of the big things that I thought it was just me, but it confidence or lack of or shortage of um, is one of uh, a cultural, I don't know, issue, problem? I don't know if I can say it that way. But even up to now, like right now, <laughs> I am not really liking being on this stage. All I saw on me is, but I'll do it for Jesus. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, just to wrap this up and kind of. Uh, you should explain the photos where there's like blood all over. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go back to the, let's go back to the beginning of this photo. So we're just gonna run through these things real quick. You think we can get that back up, Christina? Let's see if we can do it. If we can't, then uh, the uh-oh. what was Jesse's nickname? Jesse did not get a nickname. No, nope. cool enough to. But they kept. <laughs> but they kept calling him Yesy. That's for sure. Yesy, Yesy, Yesy. Or you know, that okay. one of the students that was really honest. Oh, we don't need to go there. <laughs> hey, Laura, you want to go help Christina? The, uh, the, the desktop folder, just double-click on a picture, and it'll come right back up, I think. I hope. But uh, anyways, while we're doing this, let me just wrap this up a little bit, and then we'll see if the pictures come up. I think the number one thing, I think, you, and you hear it throughout all these guys, is... 
Oftentimes there's a temptation as an American to be incredibly prideful even when we're doing something for Jesus. <laughs> oh yeah. That'll take, that'll take the pride right out. So sometimes the Holy Spirit Let's just uh okay, let's see if we can uh let's uh, get that nice and big. Okay. Oh, uh, well, whatever. Anyway, so uh, ooh, this is going to be incredible. Okay, um, I got to play a dead guy in a crime scene. It was my most amazing acting job ever, just so you know. You did a really good job. I did such a good job. I stared in one spot and barely blinked. I breathed really, really shallow, and I actually attracted flies. <laughs> it was awesome. It might have been the banana ketchup, too. Yeah, the banana ketchup that was all poured out. So we had to do a crime scene. Um, let's see. If, maybe we'll have to back all the way up to the beginning, but this looks like... But anyways... But maybe that's the one that we were actually looking for. So what these guys did was uh, John did a training um, for uh, he trained people about uh, human trafficking, about just kind of the principles and the ins and outs, so, could, so they could be aware of what human trafficking is and and uh, and know what's going on. Jamin did a self defense uh, defensive tactics training with uh, the students of Bright Lights, and so he taught them how to block and punch, and they had to yell block punch, block punch until it became black pants. They kept saying black pants, black. Pets. And, uh, yeah, they thought that was one of the coolest things ever. Uh, Jesse did kind of an introduction to criminology students, college students, about uh, investigations, and we did a mock crime scene, and they had to come up and, uh, and spot all of the clues and try to start putting some things together and not disturb anything and all that stuff. And so they needed a cadaver, and that was me. Um, and so that was just some of the things that these guys got to do on top of which we had to go visit International Justice Mission. But I would say the number one thing, and you heard it through all four of these, all five of these now as I'm going to speak, is uh, one thing we learned is, is that pride thing. We're walking in oftentimes in mission trips going, what, what can I do? What do I get to do? What's my impact? And that's just a, I've, I'm kind of convinced that that's a wrong way to look at missions. Um, because God's going to do stuff in this world. He's going to write this world. He's going to fix it with or without you. You get to come alongside and be with him while he does that through you. Totally different shift. And so what we learned is we learned this idea of power distance. And what power distance is, is oftentimes you can come in and you can state with your actions or with your attitude or the culture you're going into, like the Filipino Filipino culture, can give you power automatically just because you have white face. But you come in and you step in and you say, I'm more powerful. I know what I'm talking about. I, I am better and more equipped to help you than you are. And how, just think about how destructive that is. And oftentimes in missions, we can actually take that stance on things in the name of Jesus. And uh, so that's the one thing I think we all learned, right? Bright lights, these people were, uh, the people that were helping, they were actually trying to build up the culture by training these students. International Justice Mission was standing behind the culture, behind the scenes saying, Filipino National Police, you need to do this because we believe in you and we know that you can do great things. Uh, Bright Lights Learning Academy was all about these kids' dreams. The criminology students, we had to try to step back and, and not train them as experts, but just give them, help them understand that they can do these things. And even Vanessa's story, right? Like she kind of front-loaded this whole thing going, I get to actually do something, and then realizing that now she gets to have things done inside of her where she realizes what she grew up with and all kinds of where she's at now. So pretty powerful thing. When you go on a mission trip, um, I think the Mexico kids would say the same thing. Mexico's um, young adults would say the same thing. When you go on a mission trip, it's far less about your impact and far more about the shared experiences and the way that Jesus teaches you through all those things. So um, anyways, you guys got any, anybody got any questions for these guys? Whose wallet was on the floor? That's my wallet and my phone. We, we left the wallet with um, with money hanging out of it as part of a as um, as part of a clue, and so we were asking the students and and a whole bunch of them, every class picked up on it. They said, "Well, if they came in here to kill this guy to rob him, then they failed. So we don't think it's a robbery." I'm like, "Pretty good." 
pretty good job. So we were able to talk to them through that, and it was pretty pretty cool because they were picking up a lot of stuff. Like they're saying, that's a bloody footprint there. There's a thumbprint there, and and they, so they were able to pick up all the clues that we laid out for them. And we're going, yeah. that's exactly what our cops would we be asking them to look for, and you guys are you guys are nailing it. So we were able to um, lift them up in just their observation skills. And in a funny example of power distance, because, you know, I was listening the whole time um, and staring off in the, sp- in the space. But in a funny example of power distance, these students came in and you could see their eyes finding all of the clues. You could see them seeing the things. But as you're asking them, what do you see? There was this moment where they're like, I'm, I'm not talking because you're the important one. And you're way more important than I am, so I'm not going to share until and you, you had to, to until you forced him to. Well, you had to you had to encourage them to say, "No, this is in you. You need to bring this out. Like this is what you're made. This is what you're built to do." And these guys did a phenomenal job doing that. And the people, the, these kids, started to come alive because of that. Uh, we take it so much for granted in this country that you've been given uh, individualism, where everybody, all uh, all you snowflakes out there, and all you uh, older than snowflakes, all you melted snowflakes, um, <laughs> but uh, all you guys, what you guys have all been given is this idea that you can accomplish great things if you set your mind to it and you work real hard. That's the American mindset, right? Um, what an incredible blessing and challenge that that is. Because on one side of it, you become prideful. On the other side of it, you have no dreams. What do you got, Stefan? How did you have them to open up to you and interact with them? Because a lot of times when people are strangers or in a different environment, they do have a tendency to shut down. Yeah. And most Americans don't even speak perfect English anyway. Right, right, yeah, yeah. We we brought we brought one at least one of them with us. Um, we had the blessing of having uh, Vanessa, so oftentimes she was a great snitch. She would tell us what they were talking to her about so that we we at least knew. But uh, I, I don't know, I had one example but I don't want to keep talking. You guys have an example of how you coaxed that and like helped somebody kinda of come alive a little bit? Jesse, you talk about your ba- our basketball um, divine intervention, I would call it. Was that on Was that on Waterfall Day? Yeah. Yeah. So they take uh, the Envision site that we were at takes everybody to something fun, and we went to a waterfall, which I have great video of. Just so you know, <laughs> phone works. Now. Took my phone with me in the waterfall. Uh, anyway, so uh, but uh, then uh, afterwards we came home and we were all wiped out. Jesse was not wiped out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, like, I felt like we had wasted half of a day going to this waterfall when our time in, in the Philippines was, sh- was so short. I wanted to be with the people. I really fell in love with the Filipino people. I mean, I always liked Vanessa, but. <laughs> <laughs> just back away. I, I thought that was just Vanessa. I didn't know. Yeah. No. 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 Yeah, Jamie and I had to teach them the first level of self defense is no. So you had all these. No. Black pants. Yeah, no black pants. So hold them on martial arts. We're going to come back. Black pants martial arts. Um, but anyway, so I, I really did. I fell in love with the Filipino people. They were. They, I fell in love with what I observed of the culture, with the people that I met. Um, and so when we went to this waterfall, uh, it was just it was just kind of us and um, and these was, uh, people in boats hauling our big fat American behinds up so and down this river. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was it was the worst part of Jamin's Jamin's time there. Because so Jesse, Jamin, and I were in one boat, and we had a 65-year-old boatman who was yeah. behind me, and I kept hearing paddling upstream, and I keep hearing him going. <laughs> we're like this far out of the water. The boat. <laughs> you lose weight now. I'm <laughs> pretty good about our boat. <laughs> <laughs> But I think Jamin had such a hard time because these guys were working hard. How long was the boat ride? Uh, it was like an hour? About an hour, 45 minutes. Okay. Yeah. And these guys were working their tails off, and they would have to stop every once in a while and, and take a breather. And we were just sitting in there watching them do all the work, and it was it was killing Jamin. I mean, none of us enjoyed that part, but <laughs> Jamin especially. It's super cool. <laughs> 
the view was cool. It was and the river was cool, but that part was not. Yeah. But anyway, so we spent we spent this half a day going up to this waterfall, and it was just it was it was just kind of us and then our sixty five year old boatman. Um, but it, it felt like a waste of a day for me because because it took us a long time to get there. I don't know, a couple hours to get there and back, and and so my heart was hurting because I knew we didn't have very much time uh, there in total, and I knew we didn't have very much time there uh, left. Uh, and so I was when we got back to our little condo that we were staying at. Um, I, I mean, I just really wanted to just go and be with with people in the in the community, and so I was going to go. <laughs> Going to just walk down uh, to the local basketball court where there were tons of people, and it turns out that as I was leaving, uh, about five or six different uh, of the criminology students just happened to be showing up, uh, asking us just to, happened to be. just happened to be, uh, and filling this giant need in my heart at the time, <laughs> but just to be with them, um, and so. Uh, it, Long story short, we went to this. We went to this community that we had been spending a, a few days at. Um, played some basketball with these kids and went out to eat with them. And it was it was just like God was just answering my un my unsaid prayer just to just to be with people, and it was fantastic. Um, and so I think to kind of answer some of your your your, an, your question, basketball always works. Basketball, man, <laughs> it is wild to see Filipinos playing basketball. There was this kid. He's he about looked this tall. Okay? He looked like so, he was eight, meaning yeah, like eight, eight years old. So he's how old? And he was. Kid you not? He was sixteen, <laughs> and he lit us up. I mean, he made every shot. He was making layups. He was stealing the ball. He was spinning around us. He's running through our legs without ducking. I mean, all of that. <laughs> He's the Michael, Michael Jordan of the Philippines. <laughs> he was like going like this. I was just between his legs, and then he'd switch hands and go, and then every time. And I'm sitting there shocked, going, man, this eight year old's lighting us up, and he's like, I'm 16. I'm like, <laughs> it's better and worse at the same time. <laughs> but they opened up just because we were getting beat in basketball, yeah. and it was hilarious. To we, them. by the way, we killed it in rebounding. Yeah, we did <laughs> Three times faster than you do. John's throwing elbows. And like, <laughs> Filipinos are flying everywhere. That's what's happening. <laughs> but the whole the whole city gathered around the court. The whole not just the whole city, but a whole. I mean, you're talking like four or five people deep gathered around the whole court to watch us. Watch, the, to watch the stupidity of it all. A, in that in that little neighborhood that you guys saw, there's three thousand families inside that village. Um, do we have a picture of the um, houses? I think we have a picture of it's, one of the it's nine. They said they have around 9,000 people represented by their homeowners association, so to speak. There's a and picture so, with uh, Jamin and Jesse. This one right there. Nope, go back to the other one. And that's black pants. That's that one. Okay, I want you to take a look at that. This is a big house. This is a nice house. This is a nice house. It has a floor that's not dirt floor. It's a tile. And what would you guess that was? About nine by nine? It's the big, pretty, it was the biggest one I've seen. Yeah. But nine by nine. That About is a bedroom size. That's the house. Okay? Not the living room, not the kitchen, not the dining room. That's the house. And there are probably somewhere between six and fifteen people living in this house. I just want to let you know that. These people have so much joy. I remember one of to answer Stefan's question, I remember talking to somebody saying, You guys have you guys have so much joy and so much community because you're right on top of each other. You, you are always with each other all of the time. In America, we get to drive into our houses and not talk to each other and then drive out of our houses and we're lonely and depressed. And they said, you have problems in America? <laughs> That's what it was. And then from then on, they could share, that particular person, that, that young person, could share what they thought about America what they thought about us and what they thought about the Philippines. Go ahead, Allison. Just to answer Stefan's question. Um, so Filipinos, as I said before, it's all about like confidence and building that confidence. And I want to say that Anne, who is Envision's marketing... Marketing person, yep. So her English is pretty good, <coughs> but she's still not confident enough to keep talking. And at first, she already told me and maybe... Pastor Mark too that she wasn't going to go to the waterfalls with you guys 
I can't go to that one. And she said, because, you know, like, uh, I'll be the only female, and it means that she's going to have to speak in English all the time, because there's nobody, there's no Vanessa as a safety net. But, you know, as she has built a relationship with this guy, she felt confident enough after how many days? Four, five? Four days. Four yeah, days. She said, she said yes by Thursday. Right, yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, three, four days. So sometimes it just takes time. But they will open up um, with a little bit more encouragement. When they learned that we wanted to spend time with them probably more than they wanted to spend time with us, <laughs> that helped what you're talking about. <clears throat> Yeah. One more thing. Something Jesse said, which I love because he's committed to it. And when John said how in his comfort zone, he brought the peace apply. And committing and having that peace meant a lot to me to hear y'all say that because that's what I'm in my life. Thank you. Well, I, I will tell you that, you know, peace you got to remember that part of their story, and this is part of almost everybody's story, peace does not come first, then you start walking. It always comes when you're walking. Always when you're walking. Um, so i got like two and a half seconds to land this puppy, to land this airplane here. Um, open your Bibles, John chapter 9. You guys can stay up here if you want to. They don't want to. Okay, they're going down. They're going down. We're not going to spend real long in this. Um, I prepared, you know, something to say, but I don't even care because these guys said everything better than I will. But we do need to read the Word of God together because this is important. And I did try to make this point when you're in the Philippines that one of the most important things, one of the most beautiful things on a Sunday morning, I got to preach twice, but on the beautiful thing on the Sunday morning is we got to open the same Scriptures. We got to open the same Word of God that's been handed down throughout all centuries. And so in John chapter 9, I'd like you to, I'm just going to read this, uh, this the whole chapter and read this story. Uh, this is Jesus. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that, uh, I lost my spot, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva. Now I'm actually, you got to envision kind of the sights and sounds, like this is the savior of the universe, and I want you to realize how absolutely human he is, because he's just like, and he's all over. And he puts this on the man's eyes. He says, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seen, and his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, Hey, hey I'm, the, I'm, I'm the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. He was blind. Verse 13, they, bought, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes happened to be a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees had asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can he be a sinner? How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It it was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. The Jews still still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say who was born blind? Is this how, how is it now that he can see? Verse 20, we know that he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he has been born blind, but how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ will be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said he's of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Okay, I mean, it's just getting ridiculous. And he answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. 
The man answered, now this is the remark, this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this, the Pharisees replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Now, this is a great story. I'm not going to talk real long about this. I just want you to see something. We're not going to scroll through any of the slides or notes, but I want you to see something is that when Jesus steps into your life, when he touches you, when he, when he starts working on you, when he starts working in your heart, when he starts wanting to heal something, he's going to mess you up. Okay? He's going to mess you up and he's going to leave you messed up. And he's not going to do it in a simple way and he's not going to do it real fancy and real easy and real light so that you can get on with the rest of your life as it normally was. That is not Jesus' point. That is not what he does. He's not the Savior that's just going to go, oh, there, there, buddy, let me fix everything and leave you off to live your life the way that you've always wanted to. When Jesus steps in to heal you, when Jesus steps in to show a part of your heart that needs healing, he will mess you up and he will leave you totally exposed. This is what happened to this man. His life was changed and not for the better. Of course, for the better, you can see. But all of a sudden, his social status and his standing and his family and all that stuff starts being exposed and placed in attention. This is what these guys experienced as they moved. And this is why I think all of them would say, if you have a chance to go, whether your heart feels it or not, go. Because what will happen is Jesus will touch some area in your heart and in your soul that you can't get at and he can't get at any other way. And he will open something up like your comfort zone. Or he will open something up like uh, like just relying on our own emotional strength or whatever. He will open up something and he will leave you forever wrecked. Because that is what healing is all about. In America, we uh, get really frustrated about healing. We think healing is this uh, the, the idea of Jesus healing people. We think that it's uh, only for charismatics, or it's only for people, you know, it's something we pray for but don't actually expect, or it's something we've been praying for for years and it never actually happens, or whatever, right? We have all these high-charged ideas about Jesus healing people, but I will tell you this, that the point of your salvation is to be healed in the pit of your soul and in your heart and to bring healing to other people. And yes, Jesus heals physically as well. And yes, Jesus heals relationally as well. But primarily, at the pit of your soul, there needs to be something broken, fixed. Something fixed that is broken. Something healed. And then that starts this process of healing in our lives where we get a chance to not only be healed by Jesus, but heal other people. And so for those of you who... Yeah, for those of you who are here, I guess I just have to ask you, have you... Have you Ever had an experience like this where Jesus has started healing something? Or are you in a place where you're experiencing more and more and more darkness? Harder and harder heart? Jesus is the one who heals and we can come to him and we can follow him and we can go halfway across the world. And so let's pray, sing a quick song. And move from here. And I, I hate the fact that, uh, man, think about American stuff. Like, I hate the fact that I come in here and I'm so worried about time. Sometimes it's just great to sit and sing and worship and pray and, and hear from the Word of God. Um, and hear from people who've experienced His hand. So I hope that uh, today you're not frustrated. I hope that today you're listening to the Word of God tell you that maybe you need to go somewhere. Or maybe you need to go simply to your knees and ask the Lord for healing and guidance. But wherever you need to go, wherever God's calling you to, whatever He's speaking to you, whatever He's doing, trust that He knows best. He knows best. He knows better how to get you to the places where you need to be healed. He knows better than you um, on how to get you to a place where your soul is exposed, where your heart's exposed. He knows better than you on how to do all of this stuff. And so let's pray to the God who knows better than us that He would heal us. And let's sing. Jesus, Thank you for my friends being able to uh, come up here and share about what you've been doing in their lives. And thank you for my friends that were able to come here and listen to my friends share about what is going on in their lives. And Lord, I pray that 
somehow through all of this, you will start getting at our hearts. Lord, that you will, that you will heal us in the places that we need it the most. And Lord, help us to know that we don't really know what's best for us. You do. Help us to resign to your goodness. Help us to resign to your grace. Help us to to lay ourselves down and to know that you speak and you lead and you move and you change and you heal. Help us to know that because you're doing that in us. And Lord, I'm so thankful for um, so thankful for Vanessa's story, Lord, of of coming in to a trip and having her whole thing, her whole experience, just be flipped on its head. For John and Jesse's stories about being coerced into this trip, but how amazingly you work in the midst of all of that. But thank you for Jamin's story about not necessarily having a whole lot of excitement, but being able to experience life even in a little bit. And Lord, I pray that you would help my friends here to have the same faith that they walk step by step by step trusting you. Lord, we love you and we give you uh, give you our lives and give you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.